0: Hallelujah. Amen. I was reading a, a story about, uh, I think it's Fernando or Francisco or Fricando, I can't remember his name. There was an F in there and an Ando. Francilia Fernando, I can't remember. Anyway, but his last name was Magellan. Have you ever heard of the explorer Magellan? I think it's Fernando Magellan or something like that, and he was uh, Spanish, but he was actually hired by the Portuguese because the Spanish were too cheap, and the Portuguese, or was it vice versa? I think the Portuguese were too cheap. That's what it was. He was Portuguese, and the Portuguese were too cheap, Sandy. Your ancestors were too cheap to pay his passage, and so the Spanish paid him, okay? And so he went uh, first person intending to circumnavigate the globe, although he didn't because he died. Do you know where he died? He died in the Philippines. And (laughs) Lapu-Lapu was the king of one of the islands. I think it's the same island that I was on. And he decided he didn't like Magellan telling him what to do. So he decided to attack him. And he was so arrogant. He had 49 men against 1,500 Philippine warriors in 1521. And they basically hacked him to death on the beach. Very interesting story. But his assistant, was on the beach and seeing that they were, they had made a gross error. And uh, he was calling to his men, go back to the boats, go back to the boats, because uh, he knew that they were all going to get slaughtered. And so his right-hand guy ran back to the boat and and was trying to get the other soldiers in the little landing craft so they could go back out to the ship. Uh, and and. And anyway, he, he says something that was very, very precious, and this, this assistant guy, and he says, as I was getting in the boat, it's quoting, because there was a, one of the, the monks, uh, the, not the monks, but the religious people, they were the educated people back then, and so they were acted like scribes, and they would record events as it happened. And so this, this um, Catholic priest who was recording the event said, as he was quoting this this assistant commander. And the commander said, as I was getting in the boats, I kept looking to our leader, seeing him getting killed, wanting to help him, but knowing if I were to venture back on the beach, they would slaughter me too. And I'm trying to get the rest of our soldiers on so we can, we can vacate the island because we're in full retreat. But he said something I thought was so interesting. And he said, and as I looked upon my leader, and then he says, I looked upon the, our mirror. I looked upon our light bearer. I looked upon the standard of our souls and he's and he saying all these phrases about the leader Magellan, that he was looking at the leader broken hearted that he was seeing him in his last few minutes. But, he, but it's interesting that back in those days, they would call their leader my mirror. I didn't know that. You know why? Because they, they believed, and, and I think there's some truth to that today, the leader would show them who they were. The Bible says that we look into the word and it's into a mirror because it shows us who we really are. But I thought it was interesting that they they looked at their leader and his title that they gave him was our mirror, our light bearer, meaning you, by living your life, you help. When we look at you, we see where we are short because you're an example to us. And that's what the Bible says. It says in in 1 Peter 5, 3 or whatever it is, be an example to the flock. Let people look at the minister and let them see an example of how to live and how not to live. Now, ministers miss it sometimes. We all do because we're human. But a minister has a heavy responsibility to live a certain way so that people look and say, the way you're living is how I should be living. Do you understand? That's a heavy responsibility. It's almost like I'm looking at that leader and I'm seeing a reflection of of my life. How should I be living by looking at him? It shows me my areas to pick it up in. Do you know what I'm saying? Praise God. And so uh, today we have a mirror guest minister, my beautiful wife. Uh, I asked her to minister tonight. And uh, and, and honestly, uh, that's a heavy responsibility. It's a heavy title to live up to because we know how human we are. But under the anointing and under an office, uh, it, really, it really is like a mirror. It's not the same level as the mirror of the Word of God, because when we look in the Word, it's perfect. And so we see our shortcoming. Humans are not perfect. But to a lesser measure like he's called that his, his, his commander, his mirror. There is a measure of the pastor being like a mirror. Hopefully, ideally we we are strong enough and living clean enough and living right enough that when you look at our lives, it, it shows you a little bit, come on, you need to step it up in here. You need to pick it up in there. I know Pastor Nancy is my mirror. The word is my mirror first. But when I look at her, I see reflections and I think, you know what? Let me see the way she handled that. You know, I had the same situation. I could have handled that better. If I, if I look at how she handled that, I, I could have handled it better. It helps reflect things that I need to pick up in my life. If you're smart, you'll look at your pastor like that and not, not out of hero worship, but out of an example of who to follow. Because the Bible tells you repeatedly, not as in 1 Peter 5, but also in Hebrews 13, follow the example of those that God has put over you, which means they have to be living right enough in order to justify an example amen so jenny as just come honey just stand here one of the ushers come as i was uh, as i was worshiping i heard the holy ghost say tell her to before you minister to her tell her to put up her hands and i heard him speak to me honey and i heard him say the impartation that dr defraine gave you by the laying on of hands for boldness i'm going to impart a measure of that into her tonight for her future not just for tonight but for her future So, Heavenly Father, in this holy moment, I thank you for the impartations I receive from my spiritual father. And even though I am her husband, at her own admission, I am her pastor. And there are impartations from the pastor's office that I stand in into her life. And so I thank you in the name of Jesus at the instruction of the Spirit. I wouldn't do this out of my mind. But Father, out of the instruction of the Spirit, I thank you for an impartation of boldness in the name of Jesus. That boldness that I received from Doctor, that he received from Lester, that he received from Wigglesworth, that is in our divine line of heritage I, Father, I thank you. I impart, Lord, as you said, a measure of that boldness will come into her tonight and abide. And it will stay for her for the rest of her life. And it will aid her in the ministry when you're present and when you're gone. That means when I'm here and when I'm not here, I thank you, Lord, for that increase of boldness upon her life to execute the assignment and the office that you've asked her to stand in. And that is coming more and more to the forefront as the months pass. So I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. I give you praise and I give you glory in Jesus' name. And I say, be blessed. And I release that impartation of boldness in Jesus' name. Be blessed, be blessed, and be blessed in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. The blessing makes her strong. The increase of that boldness makes her bold and strong to utter forth what needs to be uttered and to not be moved by faces, to not be moved by faces in Jesus' name. I give you praise and I thank you. I felt that go into you, honey. Praise God. I wasn't planning on doing that, but I heard the Holy Ghost say, lay hands on her before she preaches for, for that impartation of boldness that you got from Dr. Dufresne. A measure of it will go into her tonight and abide with her from this moment forward. So glory to God. Thank you, Father, for that holy thing. These are holy things. Impartations are not to be taken lightly. They are holy moments before God. They don't happen all the time in this measure, but when they do, we take a moment and we show honor for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: Glory to God. Praise God. Amen. 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 (laughs) That is special, honey, and I receive it with my whole heart. I know how doctor was, and I covet that. I thank you for that, Lord. Father, I thank you for this word you've given me for the people tonight, Father. I thank you that it lands in their spirit, Lord. I thank you that it strengthens them from might to might, glory to glory, revelation to revelation. Father, that it builds something in them and that it opens up the eyes of their understanding, Lord. That they would see another diamond, another aspect of the word of God that perhaps they have not seen or at least considered before or seen to this measure. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here to plant it in their hearts, to whisper and to tweak and to correct as the words are said. And I thank you, Father, for the blessing of these words in this place, in this pulpit, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So the title of my message tonight is What to Do in Times of Testing. And yeah, praise the Lord. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday night. I know we don't air it. We don't do, we don't air Sunday night, right? Okay. But the Lord, when he said it to me, I want you to speak, this rose immediately, immediately came up in my spirit. So I knew what to speak to you tonight. And so turn with me to Psalm 23, Amen. Psalm 23, it's a fluffy Psalm, right? It's a fluffy, sweet little Psalm, but it isn't. It's power, power, power packed, Psalm 23. So it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Now if you look at that, it's actually using forceful language. I won't want. Want is a curse. It's horrific. It knows no end on this planet. Whatever you find, there's worse. Whatever you find in sickness, whatever you find in poverty. I just saw the worst poverty I've ever seen. I think maybe you've seen worse than India. But there's always something worse in terms of want. But it says he makes me. So that's like a command, commanding like he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He's right there. He's present. He restores my soul. So the soul needs restoring. Which means there's a brokenness in the soul. Yes. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he shows you those paths. He shows you how to walk mm-hmm. in righteousness. And, and here we go. He's showing you the path of righteousness. And the next thing you know, you're right smack dab in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. And there's no avoiding it if you're on planet Earth. But then right away, he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see how present he is in this psalm. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This, this is a psalm of war. There's a lot going on in this psalm. It's all about attack and the shepherd being there and showing us what to do when it's the darkest Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord pulled back the veil on this psalm when I was in the Philippines. And I was listening to Pastor Noel, who has deep revelation in the Word. He really does. He's a man who studies the Word. He has a lot of light in the Word. And I didn't even have my Bible open, but Psalm 23, which he wasn't discussing. He was discussing something else, but still could could be brought into this and I saw and the Lord pulled back the veil in my spirit and I saw a divine order in Psalm 23 and I believe it'll help you and it's in the next two verses thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies thou anointest my head with oil my cup runneth over and in a moment in a flash I saw what the Spirit of God was trying to emphasize. He said, did you notice that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I immediately prepare a table for you. Mm. Now we've heard this said, Pastor Nancy has alluded to this table being spread, where you're eating in the presence of your enemies. Mm -hmm. This is a table that's spread when the enemies are all around you, are felt, are seen. The valley of the shadow of death. Why does it say the shadow of death? Death is present, but for us it's a valley if we know how to do the word. If we don't know how to do the word, it's a valley of death. For the believer who walks in paths of righteousness, who knows the shepherd, it's nothing but a shadow. It's nothing but a shadow if you know God. It's nothing but a shadow if you stay connected to your local church if you stay under the people that God has you with, if you turn to your spirit in times of battle so that you can eat from this table, this table is always spread. Always. Always. This table is full while your enemies are close. It's prepared for you. It's fully equipped. And don't you ever let the devil tell you that there's not enough on that table to counter the valley of the shadow of death because it's fully stocked. But you will have to eat of that table in the presence of your enemies. If you are turned away from your enemy towards a table, you can feel them every bit. You can hear their threatenings. You can hear the things they say or scream. You can feel their proximity. This is not a table that's promised you where you will not feel your enemies. It says it's in the presence of your enemies. This table is specifically for the valley of the shadow of death, and there is an equipping that has to take place in that valley. When you're under attack, when you are surrounded, you have to make it your mission to eat from that table. That table has the word on it it has the spirit It has the oil and the wine it has the bread and you are to feed continuously on that table and it is more than enough more than enough for any enemy that surrounds you when you are feasting at that table and then the Lord showed me this he says after after you eat at that table not that we ever stop but, but there's a divine order here I want to show you. He said, when you eat of that table, he said, then I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Mm-hmm. I'll allude to the verse later if I get time. But remember, Pastor talked about you suffer a while. 1 Peter 5.10. You're made perfect. You're, you're established. Yes. There's an anointing that comes when you eat at the table and there's threatenings all around you. God will cause that anointing to come upon your life to break the things that have threatened you. To break the things that are dangerous, that are built against you. And I'll tell you right now, some of those things have been built for generations. Before you even showed up, they were built. And God says, if you'll feast at that table, you can break it there's an anointing that will come on you if you will eat, if you will not back up and run right? Yeah. because it feels bad or horrible. If you won't back up, but you'll feast on that table. In the presence of your enemies, he promises to anoint your head with oil. You see, there's a divine order. When that anointing comes, Jesus went through it. He went to the wilderness. He went through the threatenings of Satan. He felt it. It felt horrible. And he used the word to come out of it just like we did. He was eating at that table in the presence of his enemies. And then God anointed him. And he came out in the power of the spirit. And that is the divine order for the believer. And there are so many things that have fallen to the ground because the the believer retreats. Or believes they cannot. Or no one in their family has ever done it. Or years they've watched their families suffer. Or they've seen trends and behaviors that just, they're just so entrenched that who could ever believe that it could be changed. Or we've run up against that wall so many times we're losing hope that we can change it because that's just the way it is. But not according to the scriptures. The scriptures say that if you eat at that table in in your valley, that there comes a time when God himself will anoint you. And when he anoints you, with that oil of anointing, it says, my cup runs over. It comes over the top. It's more than enough. It's a bursting forth. And then I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is what we say when the battle's been won. When the anointing comes to break things. You know, I often think of John G. Lake. In his book, he talks about the scourge of death that followed his family. How would you like that? passed down your family tree. At least most of us can say we're alive to kind of struggle through or he, there were 16 children and eight of them died. He said his childhood was nothing but a scourge of funerals and crying, grieving parents and the loss of the ones that they loved. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody here has gone through that. But John G. Lake knew somebody. He knew Alexander Dowie, who, although he didn't finish the way that we would have liked, when he was in his heyday, was a tremendous man of God. Raised up Zion City and miracles and wonders and raising the raisings of the dead. I mean, it was just incredible what God poured through his life. And John G. Lake knew to reach out when another member of his family was dying. And the anointing that was on Alexander Dowie assisted him that day. And it was right after that that he began to understand the role of Satan and how he was taking out his family systematically. And God showed him and put him right into ministry because the power of God began to flow in his life. And to me, that's a distinct picture of faithfulness to the one that God puts you with. Pastor Nancy, is that for us? There's an assist. Because none of us sometimes seem to know exactly what we have to get to, but we know we we have to get there. We know we have to get there. And the Word, if you look in the Word, it always promises you that if you'll let God lead you into those paths, those deeper paths, that the anointing will come. And yet there's an establishing there's always an establishing. Where you're able to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This Bible was written for us. This is our pathway just as much as it was David's. Just as much as David had to overcome, we have to overcome. The things that we have failed against or have felt like we could not bring them down. But there's, God says we can And God says he's got the anointing for us, but there's always an eating at that table in the presence of your enemies in different seasons of your life. You know, if you look at Psalm 22, just before it, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Roaring. This is the extreme on your face before God. This is pain. <laughs> Why are you far from helping me? This is humanity. Yeah, right, yeah. This is the Christian in pain before God having not received the answer yet. Having, having questions and yet knowing that the Word and God is the answer. The anointing is the answer. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. David is saying, this is how I feel, God. And yet I recognize who you are. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, for I recognize who you are. And he says, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Go down to verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. He's in the middle of a battle. They shoot out the lips. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. In other words, the answer hasn't showed up yet and they're delighting in the fact that it doesn't look like the answer is gonna come for him. Yeah. They like his shame. Yeah. They like his weakness. And they're certain that God's not gonna come through, not on this level, not this time. Verse 11, it says, "'Be not far from me, for trouble is near, "'for there is none to help.'" You see the turning of the face towards God. And then, of course, we have this precious part that actually tells of the crucifixion of Jesus. But as the word pans back, there's always more than one way to see the word. It's all-encompassing. One part of it is about Jesus, and the other part is David pouring his heart out before God. And he says, be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me; strong bulls of Bashan have have beset me around. Listen to this—they've gaped upon me with their mouths. I mean, this is this is horrifying language. As a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my my bones are out of joint. You ever had anyone scream in your face? I have. In a rage. You can feel it right into the center of your being. It shakes you. It's horrible. He's saying that ravening and as a roaring lion and my heart is like wax. All my strength flows right out of me. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. He's surrounded. You ever feel surrounded? They pierced my hands and my feet. We're talking about Jesus now. I may tell all my bones that my bones look and stare upon me. Death is staring me in the face. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name. And he starts to praise God. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. That is a turning of oneself to God when nothing in the natural that you've tried can help. This is what you do. This is what you do. You eat at that table. You talk to God about your station and where you're at and how you're surrounded. And then you begin to magnify him and glorify him to do the very things that you cannot do. And that is part of eating at that table. That is part of what that is in the testing times. And if you've never had a situation where, I must say, there were things I think I got away with until I hit my mid-20s, then I began to hit some things that I couldn't move naturally, that couldn't be talked around, that couldn't be reasoned out. That could, they were complicated things. They, they resisted all my natural efforts, and my natural efforts were great. Great effort, not a lazy effort. But they didn't work they don't work in those situations they don't work in those situations that's why when a prophet like pastor Nancy gets up and tells you how the devil would assault her for three years in a row and then come back the next decade and do it and then the next decade and do it and she writes a book telling you how to answer it that should be your study book you don't need 10 books get that book and study it for the year yeah. study that book Ask God to open up the eyes of your understanding because I guarantee you, you need revelation and it's far greater than just the first reading or the second reading or the amazing end results which we fixate on. We fixate on end results. It's awesome that John G. Lake you know, had his family member raised up from the dead but we forget the pain that preceded it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. And the cry of that heart that brought the anointing into that family and changed Changed a nation from that oil of anointing that was poured in on his life. Look, this is a very sobering message tonight, but it's very needed. Yes. Yes. Because we are people of faith. Right. We are people of faith, but there's things that hit us yeah. and they're they're so difficult. Or there's defeat in them, and it needs to be taught what to do when the season is this kind of a season. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's not moved with the, the normal efforts of our faith, which are very effective. Yeah. I've had God do so much for me using my faith. I, I've, I've had my life saved and transformed and so much. And then there's other things that, this, that fits into this category. You know, this category. Where if you don't get in the spirit on it, it's not going to be changed. Yeah. It's not going to be changed if you don't get in the spirit. That's right. Pastor, how do I get in the spirit? You pray a lot in tongues, first of all, because it makes your spirit sensitive. A lot. A lot in tongues. A lot in tongues. And every day is grounded in the word. Every day is grounded. Every day is brought back to what does the word say? Every day, every circumstance is brought back to what does the word say? And then you live in the house of God. And you trust God to get over to you what you need. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know if I should read this in the King James or the Amplified, but this is about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Maybe I'll I'll do it from the Amplified. This chapter (laughs) is so taught falsely to the believer. This This has been so a lie. This is a lie that's been perpetuated in the church about Paul's thorn. Even the fact that a messenger of Satan was given to him, people play around with the idea that maybe God assigned it to him so he wouldn't be exalted above measure. But just just read with me. True, this is Paul saying in in verse 1. True, there is nothing to be gained by it, but as I am obligated to boast, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Many Visions and revelations of the Lord. Okay, this is Paul and his relationship with God. I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in the body or away from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. And listen to this. And he heard utterances beyond the power of man to put into words, which man is not permitted to utter. Such revelations, not allowed to speak them, things of heaven. Of this same man's experiences I will boast, but of myself personally I will not boast, except as regards my infirmities, my weaknesses. Should I desire to boast, I shall not be a witless braggart, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I abstain from it, so that no man may form a higher estimate of me than is justified by what he sees in me or hears from me. In other words, he's saying this is this is God's doing. I really I I'm involved in it, but it's not coming from me. I can't boast. I'm just a part of it. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness of these revelations. And listen to this. To keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the what? The exceeding greatness and preeminence of these revelations, there was given a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to rack and buffet and harass me, to keep me from being excessively exalted. Now you have to understand, God was giving Paul these revelations. He was caught up right. into the realm of heaven. He said, It's so astonishing and a staggering to the mind that I can't, I don't have human words. To utter it, nor am I permitted to utter it. These are things of heaven that God is trying to put into Paul for the church and and for the revelation of the body of Christ. And he's raising him up to, to write two thirds of the New Testament. This is a work of God in his life. And Satan comes with a messenger of Satan to buffet him because he does not want Paul to attain those revelations. If God is sending the revelations, God does does not have a duality. He does not send a messenger of Satan to temper Paul. God says he doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt his people. He never uses evil to do what he wants to do, never. So he's the one that's lifting Paul and putting things into him, and the enemy sees this great transaction of heaven and earth and sends a messenger of Satan to buffet him. You ever been buffeted by a demon? Oh, it's not fun. And it certainly does not feel natural. If you're buffeted by a demon, you'll know it. There's nothing natural about it. The oppression, the spiritual pressure that comes from that spirit, and the total lack of logic has nothing to do with logic and reasoning. That's why you don't tell someone who's clinically depressed to cheer up. It's a spirit. Yes, yes. It can be dealt with. Amen. But as you know, natural means fall far short. Yes. So if you're using natural means, yeah, go for a walk for an hour a day. Get some vitamin D. But it's not going to set you free. Because right. it's a spiritual messenger opposing you. Right. Amen. And so three times I called upon the Lord. I love this. I love this. I love this. Paul, look, it says... This messenger was to keep me from being excessively exalted. And yet in the verses before, God is, th- God is showing through what Paul is saying, I'm being excessively exalted. I'm brought up into the heavens where there's such amazing things being said to me that, that I dare not utter them. At least not at that time. And along comes Satan because he sees the open door of revelation and he needs that to be stopped. And whenever we're going into a new phase, a new room, Look, we don't live there, but we should never be surprised when things are out of the normal. When the person that you love turns on you like a pack of dogs, I'm serious. We've seen it so often now. Not that we don't have feelings, but we kind of chuckle about it now because when when it hasn't happened to you over and over and over again with the same behaviors, you get hurt oh you get hurt you reason with your mind what did I do what should I do by the time it's happened to you 50 times and I'm not exaggerating you know exactly what it is you bind the devil you shut your mind down you don't engage it you live out of your spirit you forgive them and you move on and you're not affected and you got a beautiful baby like spirit that's not jaded it's beautiful it's just the walk of love it's the walk of love yeah. best thing you can do: forgive yeah. them as fast as you can it can't get in you if you forgive it's beautiful. And if you don't, you'll be given over to the tormentors. And that loop will go over and over again. And you think you're so powerful holding that, that against somebody. And meanwhile, the devil's bound your hands and feet. And you're just where he wants you. And you've shut down the work of God in your life. You just fall and pray to the devil. Now, this is Paul. Here he is. This is a messenger of Satan harassing. Buffeting, And what does he do? He goes to the throne room and he begs God. He calls on God. This is, this is hard. Yeah. 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 Now, I've gone through stuff. But I'm not Paul. This is the church. This is two-thirds of the New Testament. This is the big guns coming against him. And Jesus handled the big guns, too, in the wilderness. I'm just saying this was no small attack. I sought the Lord three times and begged. Remember, I'm telling you what to do in times of testing. I sought the Lord and begged that it might depart from me. I've done that. Have you? But he said to me, my grace, my power, my favor, my loving kindness. What is loving kindness? It's the knowledge that he's going to be there for you. Loving kindness. Seems almost out of place in this verse. But it's not. We need to know that love of Christ. Remember what the word says in Ephesians. To know the love of God which pa- passes knowledge. The breadth, the length, the depth, the height. It's what anchors us. The knowledge of that love. How much that love will go for us. Like my husband so masterfully put. To know that he'll go after us. That, that covenant of love. That he'll defend us First. And he says, I begged him that it might depart from me, but he said, My grace, my power, my favor, my loving kindness and mercy. What is he saying? It's enough for you. Does that sound like a no to you? We've been taught. I remember. Religious. religious, That the devil loves to put a religious shroud around the word because he nullifies it, takes all the power out of it if he can be effective. And he says, My grace, my strength. It's sufficient for you, and it's sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. Now, people stop there and say, God's going to give me the strength, strength to bear it. Well, listen, before there's a breakthrough, you do need strength to bear it. Oh, my goodness, you need the strength. You need strength to turn this off. Yeah. Turn it off. And live here. I've heard people say this. Oh, but what's happening around me now is causing me so much shame. People are saying things. People are judging me. People are slandering. Listen, you better get used to it because that is not the main thing. I guarantee you, if you shut that down and cast that sorrow and that shame on the cross, God will vindicate you. God will vindicate you. You might have to suffer for a little while with the shame of what looks like failure. But if you've not quit, if your faith is grabbing a hold of something and you're suffering for a little season so that God can turn it and you will come out triumphant, then bear the shame gracefully and cast it upon the cross because the master took your shame. How did he take your shame? Did he show up and stop the circumstance? Well, he'll change the circumstance. But where did he stop the shame? In the realm of the spirit. That's where he stopped the shame. That's where he stopped the brokenness. That's why you have a right to stand there in the middle of things that look like they're all going south and say, No, 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 I don't receive that. I don't receive that. I cast what looks to be the shame of that. And Master, I let you turn this around. How do you think brother Savell felt when they had a stroke? Healing minister. Well, he probably felt it. His family probably felt it too because we live in an environment where people judge and accuse. But who had the last laugh? Who's in the pulpit saying the one thing my mind could remember was the memory of the upright is blessed. Why? Because God saved his life. God was faithful. To the one who was faithful to him. Yes, yes. Well, why did that happen? Well, let me tell you something. Things come down genetically. they got to be overturned. Some things are spiritual attacks. Some things are handed down from the generation before. What do you care? That's
0: right.
1: What do you care if you know right. that he anoints your head with oil yeah. and your cup flows over? Yeah. Surely goodness yeah. and mercy. This is the same one that was just walking through the valley of the shadow of death that was hanging on for dear life. This is Apostle Paul saying, God, dear God, let this harassment stop. And what does God say? My power, Paul, is sufficient for you. Do not quit. Yes, like my husband said, speak to it. Pastor said it for us. We have to be good students. And then he says this, for my strength and power made perfect perfect fulfilled and completed and show themselves. Now listen, this is important. You get this part, right? Show themselves most effective when you're the weakest. Yeah. That's when you need it the most. When you feel the battle, when you feel fatigued because you've been using your faith. If you're not using your faith, you don't qualify for this. This is for people that are in, that are doing what God's word says they're getting up, they're praying in tongues and the battle is slapping them around and they refuse to quit. No way, no way, no way. No way, I'm promised that if I resist the devil, I'm promised the fleeing. Well, don't look like you're winning. So? I know when I've let go of something on the inside. I know when I'm weak, but I'm still holding on. I know that at times the battle the answer comes, like that verse says in Matthew, the wise man who built his house upon the rock, it says the rains beat That's right. on that house. That's right. So don't be one of the Christians that stands back and watches the storm on their brother and sister and goes, well, they must be doing something wrong. Look at their house. You pray for them. That's right. You don't judge them. Right. If you judge them, when the storm comes to you, your house will fall. Or God will have you repenting because you judged your brother and your sister. Yes. Good. Amen. That's good. You don't judge. That's good. You aid. That's all you do is aid. Yes. And get, if there's any lapse of the word, you strengthen. You encourage in the words. Yes. From a spirit of faith. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed. And show themselves most effective. Strength and power. Show themselves... Most effective in your weakness. Yeah. But that weakness still contains faith. You never let go of faith. Yeah. The weakness is there, but you're still in faith because you will not quit. Right. Therefore, I will. This is Paul. Now he's responding to what God said to him. This is this open his eyes. First of all, that God's heard him and told him, don't worry about it, Paul. My power My strength is more than enough for you. He's just got his answer from God. And he starts rejoicing. Because he knows how weak he is. Three times he went to the throne. This thing is tough. And he goes, therefore will I all the more gladly glory, glory in my weakness. Remember what we said, the weakness is not a lack of faith. If it's a lack of faith, you're shot dead in the water. And you gotta go back to plan A, and you gotta get you gotta take the faith in you and you gotta feed it until it's real. Yeah. Might be childlike, it might not be enormous, but whatever faith you've got in there, it has to be real. He says, in my weakness, in the fatigue of going against this thing, that's the weakness. <laughs> I will all the more gladly glory in my weakness and infirmities, not sicknesses, infirmities, that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. So for the sake of Christ, look at the change in attitude, look at, look at the encouragement, he knows, he's got it, he's got this thing by the tail, he knows. For the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and I take pleasure in infirmities, insults, hardships, persecutions, perplexities and distresses. For when I am weak in human strength, then am I truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. Glory to God. Now, if you're listening, there's some answers in there for things that buffet you. Things that look like they're getting the mastery over you. What to do in times of testing. And I love this. Isaiah 54 verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Now I asked the Lord about that one day. I said, Father... What is that trying to say? He said, the married wife is comfortable. Things have come easily. He said, but for the desolate one, (laughs) she has not brought forth children yet. But she's crying out to God, and he's telling her, you enlarge your tent. You stretch forth the curtains of your habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy course with everything you've got. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed, desolate woman that can't bear children, thy seed (laughs) shall inherit the Gentiles. They're gonna take ground and make the desolate cities to be inhabited, total ruin, to be completely refaced. Life, teeming with life. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed Neither shall thou be confounded. Shame is huge when there's disappointment and defeat. Shame is huge. But God says he bore our shame. He carried our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Stay in there and let the Lord carry the shame. Forget about it. Turn to your spirit, man. That's where the answers are. And it says, thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For thy maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. I love this part. Just go down here with me for a little bit. He says, verse 11, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors. That's the foundation. I will lay, that's foundation talk. I'm going to take fair stones and I'm going to lay a foundation for you. And he says, and I I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. So it's beautiful and it's strong. And I will make your windows. He's going, he's building up now. I will make your windows of agates. Have you ever looked it up? They're beautiful. There's, usually, there's a blue and creamy colors all mixed together with the agates. And thy gates. Now he's stretching out to the gates of carbuncles. That's a beautiful red stone. And all thy borders of pleasant stones. So you've gone from afflicted, not comforted, not envied, desolate wife. I'm going to lay a foundation for you. And I'm going to make you beautiful. And then he goes further. Not only am I going to make you beautiful, he says, And all your children shall be taught of the Lord. And great shall be the peace of thy children. Do you see the process? Do you see why you don't quit when you're building? Do you see why you don't quit when you feel ashamed? Because it doesn't look the way you want it to yet. Or it seems like there's been failure. Do you see why you don't quit? Because you've got to allow the Lord to build the foundation. And the walls and lay the windows and then stretch out to the gates and then your children and the next generation and building up the walls that says of death. Who talks like that? Who talks like that? This whole building projects go into place from nothing. That's what's going to happen here. That's exactly what's going to happen here. It's going to happen in your personal lives. And then you're going to be part of a corporate thing that's going to do the exact same thing. Yes. And it's going to be glorious. Amen. But you notice how, how many years you were on the afflicted side, the widow side, the desolate wife. But God's leading us into something. Amen. And it's personal and it's corporate. Yes. And this is how you get out of a test. You're, you have to be spiritual. He will, the devil will bring things to trip you up. And the first thing you're going to do, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to try to figure it out in the natural when you're learning. You're going to try to figure it out. And then you're going to come to the conclusion it doesn't work. And then it's actually a good day because you turn to your spirit man. You begin to practice turning to your spirit man. That's why you always need the word telling you what to do, what to say, how to handle a situation. So much has been taught here about how to be led by the spirit. It's important. That is so key because it takes the beauty of the word and it, it, it shows you exactly how to apply it. And when to apply it a certain way. And then it says, whoever, okay, here we go. In righteousness thou shalt be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, because you've been built. You've weathered some things. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper if you don't quit. And every tongue that shall rise against thee, satanic voices slander against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. You condemn it. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. So this came up in my spirit. There's so much more. I feel like I could do a Bible study course on this. He's given me so much in the last two, three, maybe six months on this, this subject. But that's what came up in my spirit. Don't beat yourself up because you try to do things and it hasn't worked. It's time for you to turn to the Lord. It's time for you to pour your heart up before Him. And it's time for you to pray And get in your spirit so that God can help you with situations. Because he's, do you understand what he promises us? The depths to which he's healed us. The the depths to which he's redeemed us from destruction. The valleys of death that are all around us. And you know, I look at some of these ministers that God took them through. And again, I bring up John G. Lake because he, he was launched into something that was, so magnificent, it touched the nation of South Africa and then Spokane, Washington. They said it was the healthiest city in the world. I mean, it's like a, a sphere was opened up in heaven, God was able to pour his glory out. So in this establishing, where God turns you into somebody who's spiritual, you have no idea what he's got in mind in using your life. Please don't think for a second if you're not a five-fold minister, that, that makes any difference whatsoever. You're gonna do great things for God. You're gonna lay hands on the sick. You know, you may be casting devils out of people and raising up people from the dead. That's what he said we would do. So take the training. And and don't retreat. And acknowledge, Paul acknowledged his weakness at the throne. He didn't go to his aunt and uncle's place and pour out his failures. Because there's no answers there. See, there's no answers in the natural. There's no answers. You, you can tr- like a go on a loop. Loop, loop. The faster you realize that God's got your answer and in his presence is fullness of joy and that you can take a hold with him and that there's supernatural power to help you. If we're honest, most of us have handled things naturally or semi-naturally. But it's time for us as a body of believers to learn and get into our spirits as much and as fast as we possibly can. Because that's where the might is. That's where the healing is. I was telling my husband uh, about 10 days ago. I was sitting in my living room uh, praying for a family member for their healing. And I opened up to Isaiah 53 as I normally do. But it was an unusual morning. Because I just, I just felt to just t- just turn into my spirit. And and read Isaiah 53 with like closing down the mind and just letting my spirit be in the presence of God. So I wasn't being mental about it. I just want to sit with that purchased price, that blood. I just want to sit with God's blood and say, God, I thank you. It's more than enough. It breaks every yoke. I don't care what it looks like. And as I was sitting there, he, he pulled back his word, like he pulled back the veil. He began to give me revelation on the ministry of the intercessor in the earth and he took me all the way through up to Isaiah 61. And I was so touched. I was just felt his presence so strong. And then I was aware, keenly aware of an angel standing in the the doorway of my between the kitchen and the living room there's, you know, a frame, door frame. And I was aware that there was an angel there. And I said, "Lord, why is that angel there?" And he said, "Angels don't heal, but they bring healing." And you're to send that angel to assist in the things that you're believing in healing for. So I sent that angel to assist that loved one with that healing. And the next day when I got up, things that I've been standing, I've been standing for certain healings. Uh, Like, well, one of them was just like arthritis in the fingers. And I said to God, I mean, I've been standing for like two years Snap, crackle, pop. You know what I mean? And, and I said, God, if you tell me to give up foods, I'll do it. But you're going to have to tell me. I don't want to be backed up into a corner. I'm not interested. I said, but if you tell me, I'll obey you. But I've, as far as I'm concerned, I'm redeemed. And I've stood. And when I got up the next morning after that incident, I could feel a total change of something that I felt the effects of in my body for about two years now. And then I noticed some other changes. And I thought, so this healing business, (laughs) this healing is about being in the presence of God. Because it's the easiest thing in the world in his presence. Why? Because in his presence, you're laying down the mental trying. And you do. You do have to learn the word with your mind. But in his presence, if there's a flow from spirit to spirit. Have you ever thought to the Lord, Lord, this shouldn't be this hard? And yet I, you, did, you did this. What's hard? The natural's hard. Yeah. The spirit's done. Mm-hmm. The natural's hard. So cultivating this relationship with God, with the praying in tongues, praying in English, your spirit turned toward him all day. It'll get you out of any test. It'll get you out of the trials of life. And and if you notice, the things you were doing probably 10 years ago that worked might not work for you now. God hasn't changed. But the strategies against you have. And you've got to sit with God. But it does not matter if you know what he told Paul. My grace is more than sufficient for you. See, and that's why you can say, I will fear no evil. That's the only reason you can say I will fear no evil. It's because of that flow of the spirit to you and, and understanding what he's purchased for you and staying with, him, staying with him, staying with him, staying with him, pressing past natural. Every time you stay in the natural, you lose something. Pressing past natural into Spirit past the natural into spirit. And like we always say, speaking in tongues is the is the entrance into those things. I don't know why I got up the next morning and my fingers didn't hurt anymore. I wasn't praying about my fingers. I didn't even touch my health. I was praying for the family member. These are things and they're connected. So being spiritual that this is this is why we're going to do great exploits for God because like Paul said, nothing to do with me other than God has my agreement. And and we're vessels every day for God to come through this vessel. We yield up our vessels every day for him to accomplish his work because he can't do the work without the vessel. So these vessels that are yielded up are very important. Praying to get out of the mind, out of the mind, out of the mind. You're going to use your mind for normal things every day. We never... Leave our mental. That's not what I mean. But in terms of getting into the spirit, that's where, that's to see the Bible says, it's the sword. The sword of the spirit. These are terms of war. Because you're not going to know in your mind how to figure it out. You're not going to know. But he does. He does. So it's pretty easy once you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit to get up in your shower, pray in the spirit, in your car. Just start that way. Get that river flowing. Forget about what you feel like. Some of the greatest things I've had happen to me have come after the most dry seasons of pressing in tongues. If I had to go by feelings, I would have rated it a big fat zero. Big fat zero, but I think that's good. Because then you know, if if God didn't take a hold with you and you didn't slay nine dragons, you know you're still going to be okay. You're still going to be okay. These deliverances that we seek, they they come. Things, spirits leave. Spirits leave just by praying it in the Holy Ghost for yourself. Praying over your life. Because why do you pray for your life? Nobody else is going to pray for your life like you're going to pray for your life. Your vessel is extremely important. All hands on deck. Because God wants to pour out His Spirit. And He wants to pour out His revelation on us. And the faster we get in the Spirit, the faster these things are going to be won. Father, I thank you for such a beautiful crowd, Lord. A beautiful group of people, Father. I know I had, I had their spiritual attention. I thank you, Father. I pray you just put another block of cement on them, in them, in their foundations, Lord. You're building them into something magnificent, Lord. If they're listening to the enemy on anything else about their destinies and who they're born to be, I pray, Lord, that would be torn asunder tonight, Lord. They are magnificent vessels for you, Lord. You desire to shine in them. And through them, and to get them out of the tests and through and learning and joyful in you because their cup is running over and they just defeated the valley of the shadow of death. And that's a rejoicing point, Lord. And we thank you for it. Thank you for the anointing, the anointing that comes after we eat from the table, Lord, after we eat the word and walk by the spirit, Lord. I thank you that you anoint us, Lord, and our cup flows over. And surely, goodness. And mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen.
0: You know, uh, my wife was ministering today. That wasn't a, a row, row, shout, laugh, uh, dance message, but it's an important message. And the way you know you're spiritual is when you can respond and receive uh, when messages are. Uh, not um, emotionally delivered. Do you understand? Do you understand? One of the reasons I think there is such an emphasis, um, really, what are the verses that that she used? She's talking about the valley of the shadow of death and eating in the presence of your enemies, okay? But how God's anointing is going to deliver you. She's talking about Paul. He's being tested and buffeted and tried, but the power is going to deliver him. She's talking about that, that. I forget the reference, but the Old Testament scripture about the the devastation, but how God's going to lay the foundation. He's going to deliver us. I think there's a reason why Jenny is Pastor Jenny is emphasizing things like this, and I'll just be honest with you because I know some some people may think, well, I come to church to be really encouraged. And and that just was like a lot of like, it's bad and it's dark and, 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 and the devil's buffeting me and there's demons against me and, you know, okay. Uh, but, but really, it is an encouragement if you're listening to what the outcome of the scriptures are. And I'll be honest with you, do you know the reason why she's doing this? The reason why she's doing this is because, and it's got nothing to do with COVID. I'm going to use COVID's word, but it's got nothing to do with COVID. Really, it has nothing to do with COVID. It just happened to start around the time that COVID started. It really did. It happened to start because that that fast ended at the end of of 20. When, When COVID started, when did COVID start? March of 20, right? So it actually happened before that. But around the time that COVID started, right through that year, and, and all of last year, and even this year, there's just been such a buffeting against my wife and I on so many areas. Uh, our marriage is fine, so it's not, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, we're not dying of cancer, and we're not beating each other up, and... <laughs> We didn't buy Sinai to slip it into each other's breakfast cereal, so we're, we're fine, and, and, and we're healthy. So I, I don't, because you say that, then people get nervous, and uh, is your marriage on the rocks, or are you about to die, or something like that, you're going to go to prison, or something. But I'm just saying, it's, uh, so there's nothing to be concerned about from that perspective, but we have, since, that, since that, uh, that year of the mantle, even though it didn't come to the end, it's like there's been such a withstanding, constant withstanding, 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 leading up to it, and when it came. And then, and then after it. Uh, to be honest with you, we've, uh, I wish I could express it without sounding de- depressing, but uh, sometimes Jenny and I have looked at us, our, our, each other and said, my God, like, is, is, is the sun ever going to come out? Is it ever going to feel normal again? And it's got nothing to do with COVID. I know you might think it does, but it doesn't. I'm talking about pressure, demonic pressure, demonic assignments, the devil using people to attack us, the devil using strangers to attack us, the devil attacking us directly. And I have seen such a dramatic increase in that more than ever in my entire life since that season that COVID started. Uh, At times, we we have in some ways despaired. We can't talk about that publicly because our job is to be strong so you can see an example. But I'm telling you, we, we have faced hell in a lot of areas that people don't know, we don't come and whine, and I don't send out to the prayer team and say, Please pray for this, 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 because if I did, I could write a volume. I'm serious. And I'm not saying that for compassion or for sympathy or to get a bigger offering tonight, although I would like a good offering tonight. But I'm not saying it for that reason. I'm saying it simply because for over two years, we have faced a darkness that we have never, we didn't even know existed. We didn't even know. So a lot of people say, Amen, they, they agree. But until you faced a war until you face the emotions that come with a battle and until you've gone through a test and trial you really don't know what it feels like you really don't and we we have in a greater way than we've ever experienced in our lives before in these two two almost two and a half years now and so there has come a settling on the inside of us there has come a strength on the inside of us to understand how to be more skillful when the devil shows up because he's very real. And I'm not prophesying and I don't want him to show up in your life. I hope you never experience what we've gone through for two and a half years. But if you do, it's important that you know that you're not the only one going through it. Like I said, Sunday night, and you should try to come Sunday night because there's answers for you if you'd be here. Like I said, uh, like, like, what, like what Brother Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, when he said, this same thing's been experienced by all your brothers around the world. The devil's a roaring lion. He's looking who he can devour. There is tests. There is trials. There is pressure. And when you've suffered a little bit in that season, don't worry, you're going to get through it. Even Peter was saying, there's a suffering that happens. You see, Paul went through that little season of suffering right? And then in, in the valley of the shadow of death, when you're sit there with the enemies all around you, there's a bit of a suffering. You feel things. You feel pressure. You feel attacks. You feel hits on your mind. You feel emotional. You feel different things. And if you haven't experienced, praise God that you haven't. But if you ever do, just know you're not the only one going through it. Your pastors have gone through it. And I pray that we, I, I keep saying, Lord, is it over now? It better be over. Like this you're not going to get any worse, is it? I mean, the mantles come, we're obeying you, we're doing... I mean, when does when does the, the light feeling of fluff return to my life? It hasn't happened yet. I'm hoping it does happen. But all I'm not trying to be depressing or, dis, or down. I'm just trying to say, there's a real world... There's a real darkness and there's a real devil, but there's also a real, tremendous, glorious anointing and light from heaven to bring victory. And I'm not magnifying the darkness or the attack. I'm magnifying the power of God to get us out of seeming impossible, saddened, depressed, attacked, lonely situations where you feel you can't keep going. There is a power present to get you out. So when you hear my wife talking a little bit this way, this is two, almost two and a half years of pressure and you got to learn how to handle pressure. If you don't learn how to handle pressure, you'll get divorced. If you don't learn how to handle pressure, your kids will go wrong. If you don't learn how to handle pressure, your finances will go wrong. If you don't learn how to handle pressure, you'll get separated from the local church. In fact, if you don't learn how to handle pressure, you can get separated from Jesus Himself. You've got to learn how to handle when darkness and pressure, when your enemies are around you, you've got to learn how to handle it. And I'm telling you, you can, I can preach it to you, but like Dr. Dufresne would always say, it, it never quite feels the same when you go through it as you thought it would feel when you heard the preacher talk about it. It's one thing to hear me talk about, it, it's another thing for you to face it. And when you face it, and everybody does, to some measure at some point in their life, when you're feeling that that pressure, and we felt it for a long time now, don't be discouraged. That's what my wife is trying to say to you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't feel discouraged, because you can't figure it all out with your mind, because it's not in your mind. Like she said over and over, get into your spirit, get into your spirit and seek God, because His power is sufficient in that moment. The anointing on your head the, you anoint my head with oil while I'm around my enemies, it will get you out. Amen. It will overcome that attack, it will push back that darkness, and you will see the sunshine again. Don't quit. That's where, that's where it's coming from in her, because uh, we, we <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're haggard warlords, for lack of a better, you know when you just fight all the time, and you just come in there, and then there's another fight, and then there's another fight, and you feel weary, and then you're strengthened, and there's another fight, and you've got the crust of war on you, and you're just one of those, you know those warlords, they just don't have a lot of time for much else other than, let's just talk about how we're going to win the next battle. That's a little bit kind of how we feel, my wife and I. You understand? Because we, we, we're, we're, we're getting a taste of another realm. Pastor Nancy prophesied, and woo, I was so excited. Now I wish she hadn't prophesied it. Now I'm really nervous when she comes up to me and says, don't say nothing. I don't even want no prophecies from you. Because she prophesied. She prophesied in January. Of 21, right after that mantle came, she laid hands on me and she said, oh my, a whole nother realm. A whole, she's talking about that apostle's office. I said, yes, glory to God. Now I'm like, oh my God, no, 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 no. I don't want another realm because a whole nother realm means a whole nother realm of the spirit. In the realm of the spirit, there's a whole lot of enemies in that realm looking to attack because of the higher anointing. Now I'm nervous. Now it's like I'm off. I'm off. Don't come near me, Pastor Nancy. I don't want no words from you because anytime you give me a word, hell breaks loose. You know what I'm saying. I want the words, but I'm just letting you know it's a whole nother realm of good things, but it's also a whole other realm of bad things. But we're learning how to handle the bad things. I'm stronger, so much stronger today than I was two and a half years ago. Because with every attack and with every temptation and with every assault that you handle wisely in the spirit and get victory, you, it's like, it's like I don't know how to explain it, Greg. It's like. I got another notch under my belt. I know how to handle that now. Now the next time, the devil's not gonna have as much fun with me on my mind in my emotional arena because I've learned something how to handle that. Then the next attack's a little bit subtle, a little bit different, hits you a little bit different and it kind of knocks you again and oh, now I know how to handle that. Now I know how to handle this way and I know how to handle that way. And then when that keeps happening, you got 50 of them, I know how to handle this way and that way. Devil, you don't have much left in your arsenal. I know how to, I know how to, I know how to do it. I know how to, but it takes a lot of practice. A lot of people live in a bubble and then all of a sudden one day that bubble bursts and there's an assignment and there's a thought and there's a fear and there's a sickness and there's a devastation and if you don't learn how to handle it, you'll get taken out. That's where this is coming from. The motivation is not to sadden you. It's to encourage you to say, don't quit. No matter what you're facing, don't quit. It's the same spirit, honey, as what happened Sunday night. Because I wasn't going to preach Sunday night, but I heard him say when, who talked? Greg and Lorraine and you got up and shared a few minutes. And then I heard him say, read 1 Peter 5 and tell them not to quit. Now that same spirit is here this evening. Don't quit. Even when you're suffering a bit, don't quit. Jesus will see you through. So obviously there's people in our... Our church. He wouldn't say it Sunday night and tonight. We said it in different ways. We're using different scriptures where you were having a different delivery, but he's saying the same message. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit. Why is he saying that? Because obviously people in the congregation, whether present or watching live stream, are going through some tests and trials and there's some of them are feeling like quitting. So he's trying to say to you, don't, what do you do? Shut this down. Shut this down. Shut this down. I'll end with saying this, and I don't want to give details, because none of your business what I go through. So stop looking at me with those eyes, Greg, like you want to know every detail. But I faced faced a health issue a little while ago, and and it was quite serious, and it looked like surgery and different things was going to have to happen. And I went and I turned my face to the wall like Hezekiah. That would be a good thing to do if I were you. And I went to the Lord, and I said, Father, I'm a man of, I'm a clean man. I live clean and I'm a man of faith, and I've got this situation that I'm facing, which could be quite serious, and it could keep p- me out of the pulpit potentially for weeks or months at a time in, in my recovery time, and I wouldn't be able to see your ugly faces, and you wouldn't be able to see mine, and I, was, and I was concerned about it, and a little bit angry, and a little bit embarrassed, but I knew that I'd missed it, because when sickness comes like that, you've missed it somewhere. Notice that Jesus never got sick. He had persecution. He had thoughts. He had people that hated him. He had people that tried to murder him. But you don't see one recording of him being sick. I'm not saying that every sickness is because you've opened the door, but most of them are. Because Jesus didn't get tested by the devil with sickness. It's not recorded. So I automatically look to me and say, where did I miss it? And I was upset with myself. And then I was upset and saying, Lord, well, how? Then I was thinking, well, what if I can't hear God telling me where I missed it? And the devil was tormenting me about that. So I just turned my face to the wall and I said, Lord, I need you to talk to me. And he talked to me and he said to me, he said, the reason this has happened is because I told you a while ago to repent about something and you didn't repent. And I thought, my God, he's right. I thought I meant to repent, because it's one of those things where I had to repent with my wife. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Now you don't always have to do that unless the Lord tells you to. But in that case, he said, I want you, you've missed it in an area, and I want you to take your wife's hand, I want you to confess that to her, to me in front of her, because there's, 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 there's times where you have to have somebody hear what you're saying. Do you understand? She's not like a priest. She's not listening to my confession. God, I'm repenting to God, but there is something about having somebody present to keep, to, to have a, on record, and I hadn't done it, because I didn't want Jenny to know. None of her beeswax, but apparently God thought it was, and this thing started happening, go really wrong in my body, and, I, and I'm freaking out a little bit, and the Lord said, you didn't repent, and you didn't confess that sin to your wife, and if you'll do that, I'll heal you, so I was just relieved that I heard him, because sometimes you feel like, I, I don't, if I can't hear him, I can't get out of this mess. And so I did. I took her hand, and I repented, and she was very gracious. You know, husbands and wives, when your spouse is humbling themselves before God, don't take that opportunity and go, well, I told you. I mean, you're an idiot. I mean, how many times do I have to tell you? I mean, that's just the time for you just to be quiet. And Jenny was very quiet, and I appreciate that. She didn't rub my nose in it. But I had to humble myself. I'm saying that to some of you husbands who are too proud. Many men are too proud to pray in front of their wives and repent. And some of you husbands need to do it. And that's why things don't go right in your life. I'm saying that by the spirit right now, by the gift of prophecy. There are some husbands that you're not handling things right. You need to repent to your wife, otherwise things won't go right with you. And I I saw that firsthand. And I started to repent to the Lord. I'm not repenting to her. I'm repenting to the Lord. But she is bearing witness to it because it says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. And then the Lord said, "Now lay your hand on that body part. And I laid my hand and he healed me. He healed me. Within hours, all of those, that problem vanished. <laughs> vanished. Praise God. That's called the test and a trial. That's called in the presence of your enemies. That's called being buffeted. That's co- but listen, don't get in your mind. Don't get in fear. What did, it, what did she say? Look to your spirit. What did I do? I looked to my spirit. God, show me. Show me. I humble myself. Show me and he did and i did and all of a sudden breakthrough came in other words i didn't quit i didn't freak out i didn't run away i didn't i didn't beat myself up i didn't start crying i just went to my father and i called upon his holy name and i said father i need your help if i can do that you can do that are you listening to me don't quit No matter what it looks like, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the bank says, no matter what your boss says, no matter what your mind says, no matter what the devil says, don't quit. God will get you out. Might be a little suffering, but you will come to the end of that and you'll be established. I don't know why he keeps having us share this, Jenny, to people to hear it, don't quit. God is with us. Hallelujah. Like Randy Greer always says, God is with us. Let me tell you the truth about it. God is with us. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for Sunday night and tonight. Different approaches, different deliveries, but really the same message. You're encouraging your people, no matter what it looks like, no matter how dark, no matter how many tests and trials, not to quit there is good days ahead. There is bright days ahead. The best days are yet to come. Lord, you're with us and you're never going to leave us or forsake us. Your love is with us all the time. And if we'll get out of our mind, humble ourselves, get into our spirit and listen to the instruction of the spirit. We, you will lead us out of that valley of the shadow of death and your grace and power will be sufficient to overcome everything that we face. So we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor for it. In the pray in the precious, praiseworthy name of Jesus we pray, and everybody said amen and amen.